0: Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and welcome to a new series of episodes that, for lack of other creative naming conventions, I've decided to call TTS Thursday. So, just as a bit of background information here, uh, when I first started the podcast, the interviews would usually be on both Mondays and Thursdays. So it was a two-a-week interview show that ended up ended up being just a bit difficult with uh, getting that many guests on, etc. So, uh, And there were also other aspects of it. For example, people were requesting me to share more of my own uh, coaching knowledge and information. So the first series that I started on Thursdays was the Beginner Tips series back in the day. And you can still find them. Go to scientifictriathlon.com and you can find all of those beginner tips there then uh, once i felt that i had kind of created all the beginner tips that are actually beginner tips because there's only so much you can do with them i started doing q a's and uh, that went on for a number of 127 episodes i believe 127 q a's and uh, now i feel that i do want to move a bit back to basics with regard to topics and revisit some topics that we have discussed in uh, for example q and a's and in interviews and solo episodes before most of these episodes will be from an applied perspective with practical coaching advice uh, so every now and then i might do more of a deep dive into science but uh, i view those kinds of episodes kind of like the high-intensity interval training of a training program it can be really useful in a small dose but do a bit more and you don't necessarily get any additional benefits and do even more and you start to see negative side effects and in this case doing too much of those scientific deep dives might be just leading to more confusion rather than more clarity and uh, information among the listeners. Uh, so, because I do want to keep a lot of practical grounding in this podcast, that is the most important thing. Uh, after all, when it comes to training, it needs to be applicable to real life. So, on today's TTS Thursday, I want to discuss periodization, which is a topic that many of the listeners who completed the survey I ran in January indicated that they would like me to discuss. And just to give you some examples of future topics I have planned to include in these episodes, uh, they would be master's athletes, home-based strength training, uh, tips for beginners, tips for intermediate athletes, and tips for advanced athletes in three separate episodes, solo training versus group training, racing tips uh, from the swim to the bike to the run, etc., and many, many others. That's just a little sample of episodes that I have thought might be cool to do. Any feedback that you have is much appreciated, whether it's whether it's good or bad, and uh, you can always email me on michael at scientificdraft.com, and that's Michael with a K. And let me know what you think of any particular episode as well as the general concept. I won't stop doing the Q&As, but I want to do Q&As that again are relevant and actionable, uh, or at least meaningful to a reasonable number of listeners. So Basically, if I'm going to do a Q&A uh, that most regular listeners aren't really interested in, I don't think that's the best use of time, uh, or for for that matter, use of this podcast as a platform. Uh, I want most or a lot of listeners to be interested in a topic for it to be an episode worth doing. So when and what Q&As I do would depend on the questions coming in, but basically Questions that I feel would lead to Q&As that are interesting for the many rather than for the few, they will definitely lead to Q&As. So so that's a pretty simple definition. Also, I should add that the topics covered in these TTS verses that are not directly uh, question-related, they still might often indirectly come from questions that I get in, but zoomed out a little bit to what I feel is more applicable and... um, and and relevant uh, relevant level so rather than going super niche and specific on something that might not be very relevant to that many listeners uh, i might take a broader view than the perspective of a question that i get and do my best to uh, to make that broader view relevant for the majority of listeners and uh, yeah if you want to make a drinking game out of today's episode then relevant is probably the key word there by the way but uh And just as an example, I might get a question like, what is the benefit of doing block periodization in two-week cycles versus four-week cycles? That is a very, very, very zoomed-in question. Uh, But if we zoom out, then we can discuss the entire topic of periodization more broadly and have more actionable takeaways and more meaningful impact as a result. But as I said, do keep sending in questions and send in suggestions for general topics for these TTS Thursdays as well now before we get into today's topic big thanks to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com they create electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration level so whether you're somebody that loses a lot of sodium in your sweat or a little you can have an electrolyte replacement that will match the amount you lose go and take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration plan and get 15% off your order with the promo code one 15 And thank you to Roka that you can find on Roka.com. Roka are the world leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. They're used by world-class athletes and world champions like Javier Gomez, Flora Duffy, Katie Zafires, Lucy Charles-Barclay, and many, many others. Roka's wetsuits are the origin of the company with the company being started as a mission to create the world's fastest wetsuit and uh, today their flagship model is the maverick x2 which has so many cool features that i can't really list them all i want to get to today's topic as well but check it out it's an amazing wetsuit that i highly recommend to anybody it i've said it before it it kind of feels like you get into a spaceship when you uh, when you for the first time you try it and get in the water with it and swim with it so fast you can get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Uh, And final little piece of house cleaning before we get to today's topic, I'd like to ask that if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts are the best because that's where most people listen and find their podcast. But wherever you do, it helps other listeners find the podcast and helps keep it sustainable and keep it going for the long term. So thank you so much for that. Now, today's topic, periodization. Let's start by defining uh, periodization. So if we look at the literature, for example, a great paper by John Keeley is uh, Periodization Paradigms in the 21st Century, Evidence-Led or Tradition-Driven? Question mark He writes that periodization is predetermined sequential chains of specifically focused training blocks. So as an example here, we can take the traditional period- linear periodization model, which goes from High to low volume and from low to high intensity as you get from farther out from the race to closer to the race. However, uh, this day we have a lot of somewhat bastardized definitions or usage of terminology, uh, and uh, basically we can hear the word periodization thrown around when it doesn't necessarily refer to a model but to just a structured training plan, which is not the same. Because if you, for example, I am a coach, I do training plans for my athletes, but none of them are the same. So, so it does. So I'm not necessarily using a periodization model. I'm creating structured training plans for the athletes that are all different. Uh, but, uh, but if, if the fundamentals behind them, if one athlete is doing more high intensity now that we are in March and one is doing more high volume and there's no one, periodization model that i'm using then i cannot really say that they are periodized it's not to make it it's not that it's a negative that they're not periodized and we will get to to more of that as we get through this episode but basically the difference between structured training and periodization is that a structured training plan will will have emphasis on different things in various phases of of the training yes but in contrast to periodization it does not imply that uh, this uh, shift of emphasis is done because we can forecast or predict the adaptations to these various phases of training. And that's kind of what periodization is getting at. It assumes that there are kind of established timeframes for gaining or losing specific adaptations and that various attributes uh, are best developed in certain orders, for example, doing endurance work before speed work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, And that we can, for these reasons, come up with generalizable models of training again coming back to that terminology of sequential blocks of focus training that john Keeley used and uh, that these models will somewhat universally work better than other models historical background i'm not going to talk long about this but basically this is stems from hans azelier's work in the 30s on stress and the general adaptation syndrome and his original work was in rodents. And uh, basically what he found and proposed was that all biological challenges were then, the response to them were was very predictable, no matter what the biological challenge was, whether it was starvation or dehydration or uh, physical abuse. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what he did in his, uh, in, in his projects, but uh, no matter what he did, there were some very typical responses in his rodents. The first applications in sports periodization started in the 50s and 60s, uh, but then and it continued through the 20th century, the second half of the 20th century, and there were models laid out. Even though later on in the 20th century, it was increasingly shown that stress responses are really not generalized in the way that Selye proposed or predictable, but very individualized and context specific. But that being said, those models of periodizations that were developed based on the stress response model were already there, and uh, they inherently contain similar flaws to that initial uh, stress response model with assumptions about predictability and generality, where the reality is that training adaptation is unpredictable, individual, and context-specific. So let's move into some terminology and frameworks about like specific periodization models and discuss them. So just so that you know what these different models mean. And uh, then after that, we will discuss whether periodization is important, whether it's good, whether it really matters. And uh, after that, we'll go to my advice and recommendations for creating your own framework and, and explaining as well my framework that I use. But first, uh, we have a few, well, many, quite many different models of periodizations in existence today. And that actually tells its own story that there isn't so much predictability in training response that any one model has been shown definitively to be better than the others. But we have models like traditional linear periodization that I already described. More volume and less intensity first, and then gradually increasing intensity and decreasing volume. Then we have reverse linear periodization, that is the exact reverse of that, uh, obviously. Then we have non-linear periodization, uh, that is basically frequent alterations, which can be daily alterations or weekly alterations in intensity and volume. This can also be known under the terms, uh, for example, weekly undulating periodization or daily undulating periodization and finally we also have block periodization which as the name implies you split your training phases into uh, into blocks where you focus specifically on one one particular aspect really and uh, the current use of block periodization is um, a lot wider than the original the original kind of Proposal of what block periodization is by Isurin. But that's something that is beyond the scope of today's episode. It doesn't really matter. I don't think that there's anything wrong with how we use block periodization today, really, but it's just just to note that it's it's different when people talk about block periodization than what Isurin talked about, at least to some extent. Uh, Then a few terms that we should cover as well that are relevant for periodization uh, include general preparation, specific preparation and the competition phase these are the three main phases that are often used in periodization uh, terminology you can also add pre-competitive phase between the specific preparation phase and the competition phase and the general preparation specific preparation and pre-competitive phase will all be part of the under the grander umbrella of the preparatory phase and then the competition phase will be its own phase where you do all your races or competitions. And after that, there's a post-season phase before starting all over again. And I do like this terminology. It's it's pretty good. I don't use all of these terms exactly. Uh, I mainly use general preparation and specific preparation and the competitive phase or competition period. Uh, so, so I like those terms. They're very clear. Because the thing is that even if we don't necessarily believe that there are specific models of prioritization that are generally better than others as i said we still use training phases and we shift emphasis and so on and we need to communicate about that with with our athletes and and these terms make it really make for really easy and good communication so so that's something that i like about them so it doesn't matter if you're doing reverse or traditional linear periodization, for example, uh, you can still kind of use use these terms in in the same way. Uh, but then a lot of listeners probably use slightly different terms when it comes to discussing periodization. So you might be using terms like base, build, peak, and race. And as far as I know, these these are originally from Joe Friel's books. So he's Traffic's Training Bible and Cyclist Training Bible series. And uh, while it is true that what you call a training phase doesn't really matter, it's what you you do in the training phase that matters, Uh, I'm just a bit cautionary with this base, build, peak terminology because I have seen it lead to misconceptions about training based on the terms, such as, for example, uh, some athletes might think that we're only building a base, if you want to call it that, in the base phase. And also, quote-unquote, base training is mutually exclusive with improving performance capacity is another misconception that arises. So the build is where you improve the basis where you lay the foundations for improving. But actually, that's not at all the way that, that I think training works. I think you can improve basically throughout, not throughout the year, of course, not indefinitely, but uh, but let's say you start training in December then you can start improving from december you don't need to wait until march to to start improving Uh, then another misconception that i see is that build uh, the build phase means balls to the walls hdfu training for eight to nine weeks and and that's probably the most dangerous misconception of of them all there may be some others but but those are a few that i've i've seen come up Uh, and for these reasons and also because it's so simple and so clear with the former set of terms I do prefer and like to talk about general preparation, specific preparation, competitive phase, and off season. And the off season here would uh, would be basically the time that you're actually not training. So just the two weeks after your last race, typically, or or something to that effect. For my athletes, it would typically be two weeks. Now that we have some terminology uh, cleared up, uh, let's discuss whether periodization really matters. And from A scientific perspective, there is very little science comparing different periodization models or even comparing periodized training to non-periodized training. Most of the science that does exist is in resistance training. So how much we can learn from it as endurance athletes is also arguable. Of course, it is very difficult to make studies that are long enough that they can make fair comparisons between different periodization models at a reasonable timescale so i understand the scarcity of evidence but but it doesn't uh, yeah it doesn't change the fact that what evidence does exist is quite mixed and inconclusive so so really in my opinion we we have to answer this question not from a scientific perspective but well we can answer it from a scientific perspective that there is no evidence but then we need to go to a coaching perspective because we could still see a benefit of prioritization from a coaching perspective even if it doesn't exist from a scientific perspective so when we do that when we go to a coaching perspective what i really think Uh, that we can take some key take-home messages here and this is where this episode is starting to get important and if you want to take notes maybe maybe this is a a good point to take some notes so training structure matters very much training sequencing doesn't matter very much maybe a little bit but not that much and with training sequencing here i mean well should you do your vo2 max intervals before your uh, before your tempo work or your your vo2 max focus before tempo focus or your endurance focus before your threshold focus whatever whatever it is doesn't matter i think I, i've seen too many different ways work that i that i think any way is particularly better than another so so, so that's why i'm saying that i don't think that sequencing matters in in that particular uh, context then The next point here is that there are individual and very context-dependent differences in how we adapt to training. So on a group level, there isn't any one periodization model that we can say is better. And even if we look at a very stratified subpopulation like, for example, college-aged males preparing for an Olympic distance triathlon... I don't think that there is a periodization model we can say is better because there is still going to be enough individual and context-dependent differences within uh, within a subpopulation like that. But that being said, uh, the last point here, for a particular individual, it is entirely possible that some periodization models might work well. Uh, it doesn't mean they would be the absolute best way to train, but it can be a very good way to train. It could be the best way for, for all we know. That's of course very difficult to say though. Uh, but I believe that this is mainly because a periodization model helps bring both structure and consistency to training for the athlete when implemented well. Uh, so of course periodization can also lead to inconsistency when not implemented well. But, but if it's implemented well then it can lead to structure and consistency. And that is for that same reason, coaches can have success with uh, using and specializing, if you want to call it that, in a particular periodization model. Not necessarily because the model is better than any other, but because that's a model where the, it helps the coach structure the training well so that the athletes manage to do the training consistently and get decent adaptations in their individual context. Uh, so those would be some key take-home messages for how periodization matters or doesn't matter i want to give an example here uh, about context and individuality take the Lydiard approach to run training from arthur Lydiard uh, in new zealand so basically very simplistically speaking he would first have his runners do run 100 miles per week of pretty much aerobic endurance running for six months and then after that basically switching to six days of interval training per week really fast running because a lot of the runners he coached were middle distance runners like 800 meter and 1500 meter runners and it worked brilliantly for many of them obviously which is why he's so famous and uh, and his model and uh, philosophy is so famous but the question is would that work for somebody who has a job and family even if we scale it down forget 100 mile weeks but take make it whatever is feasible 50 kilometer weeks Uh, but i'd argue that it probably wouldn't because when you get to that period of of high intensity training even even though those six interval sessions would also be scaled down that much that frequent intensity would still in my opinion wreck most non-professional athletes in the context of having a job having a family and so on so i think for in the context of amateur athletes distributing intensity more evenly across the year makes more sense as most amateurs will have stressors external to training pretty much year round so we can do a certain amount of training stress uh so it's fine to have some intensity but we can only do so much but for a professional yeah it's possible to maybe not do any intensity for a few months and and then you can do a lot of it later on because you can focus solely on training uh, of course if you're an amateur and you take a four week vacation and you don't have a family so you decide to take those four weeks to just focus on training then then that could work work for you but that is a very special context on the other hand a reverse periodization model might work well for amateurs because volume is lower in the winter when it is dark and cold and you might be stuck on your indoor trainer even a treadmill so training less but with a bit more intensity works well from a motivation and enjoyment perspective and that leads to consistency then as you get to spring you can increase your volume as outdoor training becomes possible again and the weather improves there are more hours of daylight but the problem with any single mo- single model is that if you decide to train according to, to it then you kind of lock yourself into that basically you lay out a long path ahead of you that you you commit to following whereas on the other hand if you don't decide on training according to any given model but you simply take it one step at a time and a step could be anything from one week to one month here in my my opinion but then constantly be assessing and collecting information and feedback and use that to optimize your next training block then you have more freedom to to change things that might not be working well So as an example you could come to the same solution of doing less volume in the winter and increase volume as spring progresses just by assessing your training and realizing that hey I'm not very motivated to do long rides on the turbo in December and January so I'm simply going to take the executive decision to only do fairly short rides. The difference here compared to already locking yourself into the reverse prioritization model is that now that you took that decision as a feedback loop on not enjoying the long rides then rather than as per the reverse prioritization formula having already decided on the intensity aspect as well now you have only kind of decided on your volume aspect and the intensity is still up for you to decide based on whatever your goals and context are so you could choose even though you reduce the volume that doesn't mean that you need to do a lot of high intensity necessarily and that's not to say that high intensity might be would be wrong for you but it's just that you have a less constraints led you have less constraints when you're not using any particular model you can arrive at picking the good parts of any given periodization model for your context without having to commit to any other constraints so i hope that that makes sense basically the advantage is trying to arrive to to a specific thing a specific structure that works for you without imposing constraints that are not uh, necessary so now uh, let's move on to the final part of this episode which is my recommendations for regarding periodization and uh, uh, regarding a framework for periodization so first of all i would basically advise you to not think so much at all about periodization really at least in terms of the word we can try to forget about using it as much and i'm guilty as anybody else of using it so maybe i'll try to to improve with that but that doesn't mean that you cannot have an idea of what type of training you'll be doing one month from now or six months from now you absolutely can and i have spreadsheets like that for the athletes that i coach but uh, the important thing to realize is that they are ideas based on assumptions about first context second adaptation rates and three competition demands and the key thing is that i don't view this as periodization but as training structure so it leaves me very open and flexible to changing them when i see that the context changes or the adaptation rate is not necessarily what i thought it would be or maybe they sign up for a different race so the competition demands might change basically viewing it as a macro structure rather than periodization. Allows me, if nothing else, psychologically to be much more flexible with changing things up completely if need be. So uh, instead of looking at a path laid out in front of us, us, which periodization really is, what we should be looking at is a system with a feedback informed decision making machine in it. And uh, we will use this decision making machine to probably very frequently do small course corrections similar to an airplane in flight but uh, depending on the information coming in we might also sometimes need to make bigger changes to the planned training like deciding to take the scenic route rather than the highway so that would be an example of a bigger change the ingredients that you need in your system are first information about your current training status and context second information about your end goal uh, whether it's a competition goal or and competition demands and context and uh, then third importantly a structured training plan for moving in the direction uh, to towards the end goal from the current status Uh, this doesn't mean that you have to have a plan that spans the entire wave from now to the race it could be just you have a plan for the next month or for the next few weeks And then you had adjust accordingly, or you could have a roughly laid out plan, as uh, I kind of mentioned before, but that you're open to changing because it's not uh, something that you're locked. You've locked yourself into that one path. And then finally that feedback loop. So. Feedback loop based on objective data, subjective data, whether it's uh, you as a self coach athlete or a relationship with your coach, uh, you need both objective and subjective feedback. So power, heart rate, pace, but also RPE, comments, uh, all all those regular things. And based on that, updating the structured plan if necessary, and also based on uh, also updating the information about your current status when, for example, you notice your fitness level changing. So Okay, I know that this sounds uh, kind of uh, theoretical and not very practical. So let's try to make it a bit more practical. I'll explain how I use this framework in a coaching context. And along the way, describe the changes you can make as self-coached athletes as well, if they're not evident. Uh, but uh, basically, well, the current status and current goals, there's something that is every single workout informs me about the athlete's current status of course we do sometimes benchmark testing and that gives a very specific idea and uh, or specific and knowledge about their current status and that's great but you also get that from from every single workout and uh, and from what they're saying and uh, feeding back to you after your workouts goals same thing there based on communication and and discussing around season goals and so on and and from uh, from updates that hey now i'm registered for this new race so let's put it on the on the schedule Uh, then in terms of the plan so i usually work from uh, uh, an idea but a vague idea for the plan from the start of the season through the end of the competitive phase Uh, so so that's just something that is that might stay in place for some time, or it might not uh the idea is a bit stronger or it 's quite strong for the next four weeks. I know pretty well what we 're going to be doing, and it 's very, very strong for the next two weeks because that 's what goes out to the athlete's training peaks calendar more often than not, even though of course this changes whenever we get new feedback like, "Hey, I needed to work unexpectedly uh." tonight so i can't do uh this uh this workout should we change anything and yes then we change something but uh but two weeks is what goes out on the calendar more often than not so so those two weeks i know very strongly and uh but for four weeks so the two weeks plus two weeks after that also i think it makes sense to have a pretty good idea of what you want to be doing you don't want to be just looking at such a short horizon as two weeks at a time But over the course of uh, the athlete going through the training, I get information and feedback. So the fairly strong idea I had for the following two weeks, they might sometimes change a little. Uh, On rare occasions, they might change a lot, Uh, but sometimes they change not at all. So, so I'm gaining uh, information also around how the athlete is adapting to training, and uh, that is also something that I feed into the picture of updating both shor- short and mid and long-term planning constantly, and on and on it it goes. Uh, and basically, the not the constraints but the objectives of of this training and how you plan the training in these periods over these short and mid and long-term perspectives is the goal to me anyway is consistent structured training as the main number one priority for almost any athlete any time of year i would want to have uh, some aerobic endurance training in there but the emphasis varies based on time of season and context but also most athletes would always have some bit of intensity in their training and with intensity here i mean anything above zone two in a five zone system i also usually work with uh with the the belief that over the course of a season you want to rotate through having done some focus on many different intensity ranges, so for example you might have one period where you're focusing on a lot of zone three work and one period where you focus a lot on zone four work and another period where you focus a lot on zone five work and uh, and even short and sharp you might call it zone six work so speed work or sprint work. How much to do of each depends on the athlete of course and the goal race, but uh, but but you I do tend to want to have some focus on each of those different types of uh, types of intensities uh, through rotating in throughout the year. That doesn't mean that it's always uh, a typical block periodization where you only do uh, aerobic endurance and zone three or only aerobic endurance and zone five, five. It might be mixed, and uh, that's uh, that's something that I'm doing uh, just as much as block periodization. D-d- really depending on the athlete, the goal, and the type of season. Um, one thing that I do uh, find is that it's quite easy to do too much zone five work, uh, so or VO two max work, maybe you want to call it, unless you are very clear on the prescription of that work. So, for example, when I prescribe a lot of the zone five work I prescribe these days is not uh, kind of the typical VO two max work that you do two or three minute intervals, maybe four minute intervals, and you really go as hard as you can for a total of let's say 20 minutes for argument's sake 10 times two minutes six times three minutes or whatever it may be but actually i prescribe a lot of training days just above threshold like just slightly above threshold for example 10k pace work on the run if you're a let's say sub 40 minute 10k runner then your 10k pace is slightly above slightly faster than your threshold even if you're a 45 minute 10k runner probably uh, maybe even a 50k uh, 50 minutes but at least 45 minutes i think you can be fairly safe in that assumption so so basically you can do workouts like five by five minutes at a 10k pace and and that would be a great workout to do and and that i find you can do a lot more rather than the typical the de- uh, on the other end of the spectrum of the zone five spectrum would be doing uh, 16 times 400 on the track with uh, 60 or 30 seconds recovery and basically best effort and and that high intensity i think yes it is important and uh, i do include it but i do minimize it compared to uh, a much larger proportion of the zone five work is more on the lower end of zone five Uh I also think that one of the most common mistakes that uh, that I see, and I have definitely done this myself, is to not stay long enough with one particular quote-unquote training routine. And uh, I use that in terms of, for example, a tip, uh, yeah, like the weekly structure that you repeat for a few weeks, or maybe maybe some, some people use a two-week structure that you repeat a couple of times. Uh, I don't think it matters as much if your training routine is Again, the classic block periodized or nonlinear. So it doesn't matter if you're all focused on aerobic endurance and let's say zone 3, for example, or you have a lot of aerobic endurance, but then you mix in one zone 3 workout, one zone 4 workout, and one zone 5 workout. Whichever it is, uh, just keep reti- repeating that training routine for more weeks than you maybe think you should and do that consistently. And make sure that sometimes it's challenging you, but rarely or never bringing you right to the edge. Uh, That's something that I think is really critical uh, because that repetition is, to me, makes a lot of difference and doing it for a long enough period of time. The paradoxical thing here is that if we do anything for too short a time, we might miss out on adaptations we would have gained with just a couple more weeks of repeating that same routine. But on the other hand, sometimes we do notice that clear increase in fitness or a bump after doing some type of training for a few weeks and we uh celebrate there it is. We got what we we're looking for, but now we can move on and look for the next adaptations with a different training method. But this is really where it's even more tricky. This is where you want to see if you can double down on what you are already doing and see if you can get more improvements by keeping at it because chances are that you really found the stimulus that works and keep working at that stimulus maybe even slightly increase it so if you're working at a particular intensity as your emphasis you can maybe slightly increase the time and zone or if you're working with endurance as your emphasis then try to slightly increase the duration of your long workouts uh, keep it safe of course but uh, but keep the basic structure of that routine and see if you can get even more improvements after you see those first improvements And and don't just feel that okay i I used that card and now I need to move on to, to another one. Uh, one more thing that I want to say is that uh, it's quite common to see progressive overload as a key part in your structured training. Uh, but uh, what I see that a lot of athletes do is that they, they use progressive overload at a time scale that is not relevant for the context of most endurance athletes. And uh, this is uh, a topic where I know that there will be a lot of coaches that uh, will disagree with me and that's completely fine. But but I think that progressive overload is completely irrelevant on a weekly timescale. It's not even that great on a monthly timescale. Uh, it is great on a yearly timescale. It is uh, phenomenal on a yearly timescale. And, and it is great on a quarterly timescale, for example. So what I mean by this is that you don't want to be every single week necessarily increasing the uh the intensity or the time at intensity of your workouts or for that matter increasing your volume every single week i think in my model anyway what i do is typically keeping a very constant volume and keeping fairly constant key workouts maybe rotating them a little bit for entertainment purposes if nothing else but but not really changing the the challenge the stimulus that that is imposed by by that training week but if we look at if you have a key race at the end of June then yes your second quarter of the year will definitely be more challenging or be of a higher training load I should say than uh, than the first quarter of the year even though you will also be fitter at that time so it might not feel that much more challenging but uh, basically it, i i think that week 2 of the year shouldn't be any higher load than week one or week 10 of the year should necessarily be any of any higher load than week seven the thing is that if you have a week that is manageable but at times challenging and you do it for four weeks straight then you will have done several workouts in that period that are real overload workouts just because the context was that you are already carrying some accumulated fatigue not excessive fatigue but uh, as an endurance athlete if you're training consistently you are carrying some accumulated fatigue and uh, this leads me to one more point general point around how i use how i structure the training of my athletes Uh, in generalized terms uh, i very rarely plan recovery weeks in advance Uh, the exception here is in the competitive period i do that well taper weeks of course and then recovery weeks after races But in the sort of non-competitive phase of training, it's quite rare. I do add in recovery blocks of two to three consecutive very easy days every now and then. Uh, One of them, those days might or might not be a complete rest rest day. But for the most part, the weekly load is quite similar week to week. And I think for amateurs with uh, a limited time budget in particular, this is a more effective way of getting the most bang for a training buck than uh, than having let's say three weeks on and one week that is a recovery week with a big reduction in training load, but with recovery, I'll definitely say that it is very individual, and you first of all need to find what works for you uh so so don't take this as gospel, it's not nothing nothing is uh, but but then again, if you think that you cannot do that the only option for you is to do have a recovery week every third week, then maybe consider the option that that might not be this the only option for you but it could also be that your training load in those two preceding weeks is just too high and you might benefit from restructuring your training a bit and do a lower load in those on weeks and then do fewer of those recovery weeks or just take a couple of days easy and and that would be that but to bring it all together those examples i just discussed with progressive overload recovery and so on those are just Those are not necessarily periodization. Those are uh, related to training structure, and these are things related related to training structures that I have found work well in the context of the athletes that I coach and with my coaching style and training philosophies. So that is, of course, quite a number of reasons why it works. Quite a number of biases, if you will, why why it fits. That doesn't necessarily mean that it works in your approach and style. So remember have that structure plan towards your goal based on your current status and context but just adjust constantly based on that feedback loop that that is in my opinion the modern way of doing uh, periodization or actually replacing periodization Uh, because there isn't a formula there isn't a path uh, it should be a much quicker feedback loop And that's that for the periodization discussion. I hope that you enjoyed it and found it useful. I'll have links in the episode description to a number of interviews I've done on the podcast in the past on periodization, in particular the one with John Keely in episode 148 uh, is uh, one that is quite scientific about the evidence or lack of evidence for periodization formulas. Uh, as i said at the beginning of this episode do send in feedback topic suggestions and q a questions to michael at scientifictraflon.com and it's michael with a k if you are looking for coaching or training plans go and check out scientifictraflon.com. and thank you finally to our sponsors precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com Get a personalized hydration strategy and get 15% off uh, your order of electrolyte products with the promo code show 15 And thank you to Roca that you can find on roca.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can find on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart. And keep loving triathlon.